This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now, the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is offering bonus content to Fable and Folly Plus supporters, including character creation and how-to-play episodes, plus cast and crew outtakes, all still entirely ad-free. Fable and Folly Plus. Sign up today at fableandfolly.com slash plus. Omniverse. The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program contains content that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Visit CthulhuMystery.com and head to Patreon.com slash Omniverse Media to join our community of fans and unlock further secrets. Welcome to part two of the terrible secret of Lot X Cthulhu Q&A. I'm Cap Blackard, the series showrunner, and if you're listening to this and you haven't heard part one, you definitely need to go back and do that. It's one big discussion split conveniently in half. In this episode, we discuss our favorite parts of the series, the intersection of love and horror, secrets of the Arkham Paranormal Research Society, share a preview of Series 3, and also some community updates to let you know what's up now and what comes next. Please allow me to reintroduce our Q&A crew, John Sebastian Laval, who plays Oswald Sinclair. What about a uh, Moses or Oswald body pillow? Melody Pereira, who plays Anjana Ramakrishnan. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Bohr, who plays Kenneth Roger. I don't know what we're doing. I just showed up. Our keeper, Luke Stram. I let the mask slip. I'm sorry. And the hard questions are being asked by our sound designer, Colin Peterson. We produced this extremely professional podcast, and then we ruined it all with the Q&A. <laughs> <laughs> There's a question that the Wizard of Retcon had to all the cast, and I'm going to open this up to everyone, including Melody and myself and Luke as well. Like, what was your favorite moment? Mine would actually be from like the the big final confrontation, where Estelle takes the jar of <laughs> Woodrow and uh, the butler. The, the cocktail, yeah. Yeah, and, and just hurls it over uh, Mildred and says the words, like, no one has ever used in my games the resurrection spell as an offensive weapon. And it was like such a perfect and horrific thing. Like, uh, I, it was it was just like great. Like, I could have never in a million years planned that to get done with it. Yeah, it was fucking gross. <laughs> <laughs> During the campaign... I really loved the interplay between Moses and Oswald a great deal. It was Aww. really cool to see this character dynamic emerge out of nowhere. John and LaForge don't have like much of a relationship at all. That was a lot of fun. You guys played off each other really well. And like Moses has a lot of great, weird little ticks to his character. And, and the way that he would respond to you in his character was really wonderful. Especially, it, it, it first started like really rearing its head in what is episode two of Cthulhu. I think really quick with the whole Oswald thing. Oswald is a survivalist opportunist. So he sees Big Strong Mountain Man and that makes him feel safe. So he's going to attach himself to Big Strong Mountain Man regardless of what that means for him as a man or what that means for him as just a human or whatever. So I tried to make sure that whatever Oswald was doing, he was trying to impress Moses or at least stay near him and write that into your fan fiction as you will. One of my favorite things about the series was 
our characters were all staying the night at Estelle's house and my character woke up a little bit early and I went and I found a big load of hickory, you know, and able to to smoke the chicken. And and I think that really tied it all together for me uh, was finding the hickory because it was the wood that made the series good for me. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> wow. Wow. I think for me, especially now that Cap shared her story, the scene where Estelle and Anjana, they get intimate. It was nice to have a human moment amongst all the craziness that was happening. And doing it in the studio, we were just across the table and we connected and it was so moving. That was a really scary thing for me to put out there as like, all right, here's this person I barely know, and I'm proposing. Right, me something. too. I was like, oh, wow, okay. Let's go ahead and do it. But it wasn't hot at all. Strictly professional, but also yeah. now we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> every second, every moment is absolute sublime bliss. Unending. To the temple, my love. With taste. (laughs) (laughs) Can I like, like I want to like whisper it. No, that was good. That was, that was actually like, that was, that was not me laughing. That was Estelle laughing like ecstatically. (laughs) Okay. 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 That is nice that there's a little bit of warmth because I think, some people think horror and they think it's got to be just every moment is sickening or frightening. But the truth is that those scary moments don't mean shit unless you care about those characters or if there's something at stake. And nobody has anything more at stake, I think, than uh, Estelle and, and Anna. Because especially Oswald, you know, he's the hobo king. Like, that's a kind of a big deal. Like, maybe somebody will miss him, but they'll just be another hobo king. Everybody knows how that works. And for the most part, all the other characters, like, they, like, if they get lost or something happens to them, not that they would be missed. I mean, of course, I'm sure somebody, I'm sure there's somebody in their backstory that would miss them. But for those two, I think the audience was given so much of their relationship. The feeling between them almost has like a higher meaning to it, right? Like a, like a spiritual meaning that if anything happened to either of them, that would be severed. And I fully expect one of them to become a villain in another season if anything happened to the other. <laughs> <laughs> I had very serious conversations with Cap. Like what to do sound design wise during the intimacy? <laughs> uh, no. Um, <laughs> after the first three episodes and the way that Cap was using Anna, I was like, Cap, Anna has to die or Anna has to like do something fucking crazy. I was convinced that Anna had to die or kill someone or like kill cherry or like because there was a moment where i don't know if it made it into the final because everything kind of mixes together there was a moment where i think that anna was like holding the gun at at cherry or cherry was holding the gun at anna yeah they had a whole standoff because cherry was insane at that point right? yeah well let me let me spell out what here's what happened in the game because it's very different from what happened in the show cherry gets hit with insanity from seeing the yellow king of the mirrors and she has a vision of a demon doctor because that was part of her like fear that was not explored at all. And then runs off to the lobby where because Anna was in a passive role because I was trying not to overcomplicate my performance, Anna was just standing guard in the lobby. She wasn't with the gang doing stuff. In fact, Kenneth and Anna being in the balcony wasn't a thing that happened at all. Kenneth we just stayed upstairs for a while and then came back down. That was all there was to it. So Cherry goes to the lobby and sees a demon doctor, which is Anna, and is about to shoot her, but Kenneth shows up, and Cherry snaps out of it, and then Anna comes back in, and as she comes back in, she gets hit with a very bad sanity roll, which did happen, but it was like, you should never have come to America, this whole thing is a farce, and you run out of the building screaming, and that's all there was to it. And then we never picked up that thread again, there was no confrontation with Estelle and Anna. Uh, I should add that in terms of like the production, there are scenes that have dice rolls that were not scenes that happened, but they were real dice rolls. Even though I was writing a script and I could do whatever I want, all the decisions that would have been dice decisions were still dice decisions. I didn't know that. That's cool. Oh, that's tight. Yeah. yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. I feel better now. I did, I did that with the sewer epilogue as well, actually. Yep. 
Chance is a really great narrative tool or writing tool in general. David Bowie and Brian Eno are big fans of, uh, you know, manipulating in this way. And uh, so am I. Um, Sorry, Colin, you were talking about that, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, you were just talking about how you hate Melody or something? She's so sweet. Why would you do that? God, No, I just felt like, well, also, too, by that time, the rest of the series had not yet been altered via a script. And so Cap and I were having a lot of story discussions because specifically that last confrontation, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't quite understand spatially. And so, you know, there was just a lot of stuff that needed to be revisited. And so, you know, that was one of the things like I was just like, Cap, she has to die. And Cap's like, nah, we have to keep her around. (laughs) And I'm glad that we did because she's great. She's a really great character. It's that glimmer of hope that is going to make everything else down the road more tragic. I mean, I punished them (laughs) a great deal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, my thing was that Estelle had to go nuts, but you ended up finding a way for Estelle to go nuts anyway. So (laughs) that worked out. Yeah, and that also that last episode with the whole revisiting of like what was going to happen, that was just like, I don't know. I was just sitting down trying to find a sound design for that last moment. You're talking about the carpet crawler scene. Yeah. That, I mean, in terms of sound design, Colin, like we, we talked about our favorite moments this series, but like I yeah. was, I mentioned my campaign moment, but like things transformed exponentially. I mean, this is without question your finest work to date. And oh, the, the dream sequences especially, I mean, I cried when I heard like the first rendition of the carpet crawler sequence. It was because you did a bunch of shit I could not have anticipated. And all I was like, I just want to do a little musical number. Ha ha ha. But like you were like, all right, if we're going to do this, because like you were like, we probably shouldn't do this. And I'm like, I don't know. Let's just do it anyway. Just humor me. And you're like, okay, fine. But we're going to do it my way. And it's going to fuck with you. Yeah, it was and- pretty powerful. <laughs> it was good. Well, thanks. It still gives me chills, like the uh, the sound of the Yellow King stepping onto the stage and the way you used it as a percussive thing to accent the piano that Mike was playing. It's just unreal. It's so good. That one was one of the hardest ones that I... I mean, we had, I think, six different versions of that ending back and forth to each other before we settled on one that we were both happy with. Do you want me to go to my favorite moment now? Go for it. All right. I have two favorite moments because I have a... Favorite moment as a character and a favorite moment as a player in a sense that it'll make sense. <laughs> I loved when he destroyed the butler's pelvis with a crowbar. <laughs> that was a good yes. moment. Yeah. That was yeah. awesome. It was like the ultimate. It shattered. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like, you know, this is Oswald Sid Claren. Welcome to Jackass. You know, and he just, he just <laughs> popped that dude in the pelvis. Um, I think that's a terrible way to go, but, but he deserved it. But cause I didn't expect, I didn't expect anything to happen. Like, I was like, all right, yeah, that'll be pretty good. And that's, that's time for me to get away or for somebody else to get in there. But, like, no, like, the dude died from being hit in the pelvis with a crowbar. Yeah, I mean, you shattered his interior. And <laughs> he wasn't doing too hot at that point anyway. Sure. Like, he he had been, don't, take, don't take this from yeah, me. Don't he take had been this from me, Luke. killed and resurrected a few times. Sure, sure. He was, he was damaged goods. Yeah. As a player, I think the most exciting for me to play itself was the whole mirror stuff. Because I was like, oh, dude, my character could end up, like, being completely sealed off or dead or halfway out because i was thinking my when i first went in i was like oh god what happens if like if like i'm coming back out and something happens and uh we answered that (laughs) so i want to circle back to something that we were talking about in terms of the elements of love and horror because that's something that's super important to me in in absolutely everything that i write i tend to write a lot of spooky stuff but i really abhor hp lovecraft as a person which is probably no surprise he's a terrible closeted man, like worst case scenario of even of his time period in terms of the things that he believed. But his repression allowed him to explore horror in an unprecedented way. I do think there's a counterpoint to it though. Though there's like unknowable darkness, there can also be unknowable light. And that's something that carries through absolutely everything I do in terms of, you'll see plenty of darkness in this series, but I always will look to representations of beauty and forces that are absolutely unfathomable to the human mind but do not have this like soul-crushing darkness attached to it well yeah we we get to explore the optimism that's missing from lovecraft's work yeah but but also now thankfully because it's public domain people talk about separating the art from the artist uh we can literally do that because we've made it our own story 
And so you don't have to go deal with any of Lovecraft's bullshit. Mm -hmm. You can enjoy it through the filter of somebody who doesn't think anyone is subhuman. And continue to explore female characters, queer characters, people of color. Yeah, Lovecraft would have hated this. Yeah. Although maybe, maybe he would have liked it and then changed his mind at the end about some of the things he felt. A lot of the inherent things about it that in different cosmos and all of that, I think speaks to people, you know, especially nowadays in a lot of ways. But I am glad to see it more open and available right now, like The Ballad of Black Tom. That's a story revisiting, actually, the uh, the, the horror at Red Hook, like one of Lovecraft's uh, more uh, indelicate uh, <laughs> stories in, in the uh-huh. way that he treats people. But like even cutting H.P. Lovecraft 100% out of it, ignoring all that, there's still the element of the times. Like the 1920s, that was when the Ku Klux Klan reached its height in America. Right, with legitimacy. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of dark shit there, and it's one of those things where it's kind of a tightrope because that stuff's there, so we shouldn't not acknowledge it, but it's also like, I'm a white, hetero guy. I look like I walked out of a Nazi recruitment poster. I accept that. (laughs) But it's one of those things that always kind of concerns me, and you know, thinking about it like, well, if I were a person of color or a woman or something like that, I wouldn't want that shit thrown in my face. This is for me to have fun and enjoy myself. Like, you want to use it occasionally, especially because you can make assholes be real fucking assholes. But like, you know, you don't want to go the full realism with it because it. Well, I, I mean, but I typically yeah. do want to go yeah. full realism with it because I don't want to ignore yeah. history. I mean, my mom's a historian. I don't have any intention of shying away from the horrendous realities of things we've overcome. Yeah. And it's important to be reminded of where we came from so that we can be more appreciative of where we are now and continue to fight for the liberties that yeah. we should expect yeah. to have. And, and there's a catharsis in destroying those people in your art. Well, that, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's thing, I think for me, that's, that's a big part of it is like, I don't want to throw that at people for the sake of throwing it at people. I want it to kind of be, you know, in service to the story and not be something where I'm reveling in it for its own sake. That is disgusting and horrible to me, like as just yeah. a concept. Like, and I know there are people that do that where they're like, whatever. My characters are racist all the time because that's how it is. Well, it's kind of like Django yeah. Unchained a little bit, right? I mean, it's about people, racists, getting their comeuppance. But yeah, I think in general, it's it's such a important subject. That's one thing I like about the game is it gives us a way to kind of explore that. Because I do like that contrast also of you kind of have a bunch of different themes going on. You've got that giant oppressive cosmic horror, but you also have like people that are just shitty to other human beings for no reason, you know, other than just... That's just the way they are. That's Mildred. Oh, poor Mildred. She's oh, no, fuck Mildred. Mildred came at it from a, like, the, the whole reason she got involved with it is because her brother screwed himself up really, really bad. Like, she came from it in a good way, initially. Yeah. I, well, and Mildred, based on, like, you know, what she says, Mildred's a gay woman who will not accept herself and believes the only way that she can live her life is by continuing to view her sexuality as evil, so she'll bring evil to the world and then... You know, once she's made everything evil, then she can be what she believes is evil. Whoa. That that was in the dialogue. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I kind of like those aspects of things. Like, I'm a big fan of the inhumanity that people treat each other with always being an element there, too. And I think that's actually a good response to that kind of, like, the Lovecraft-style racism of making that an element where, in the end, like, who cares if you're going to get eaten by Cthulhu if, you know, the clan is going to string you up? Like, you're dead either way. They're both the same kind of threats to people's humanity and and that core of love and hope. It's really important to me that we can have a statement like, love is our strength, love is our blade. Like, that's not something that belongs in of H.P. Lovecraft story. It's very different from that. It's a very ironic name. I'm sure people have thought of this before, but... Oh, yeah. His his name, Lovecraft's name. Yes. Well, uh, speaking of love, in the time since Series 2 wrapped, you find citizens of the internet have given us a lot of love. You amazing folks have been telling your friends about us, sharing our episodes, and rating and reviewing the series on Podchaser and Apple Podcasts. In fact, as of this episode's release, we have 145 ratings on Apple's U.S. storefront, which is great. 200 is where real sparks start to fly and we get like higher up in the algorithms. So if you haven't given us a rating or review yet, please do. Oh, I need to review us. Okay. Cool. Also, Colin. also, also, if you have, <laughs> if you have, if you have Spotify, well, it doesn't have a rating system. Follow us on Spotify as well. Yeah, that that'll look really good for us. Our Spotify numbers aren't awesome. Yeah, and and even if you don't listen to us on Spotify, where you you know you use prefer something else, it's actually super important. 
So you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do leave that review, then we will attempt to read it. Granted, there's a huge gulf in between series, so that's difficult. But hey, let's take care of some of our favorites right now. I'll start. This is from our very own Wizard of Retcon, who's given us so many wonderful questions. Their review is called An Enthralling Venture in RPG Cosmic Horror. The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is one of Nerdy Show's best productions. The first season had me at the edge of my seat, and the second season is one of the best audio dramas, production and story-wise, I have ever heard. It's delightfully creepy, and the fact that it seamlessly integrates the actual play RPG elements into story is an added bonus. Seriously, if you love a good story and need a fix of that good old Lovecraftian horror, give the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program a listen. I've also got a really nice note from Ashley Shastany, who went to nerdyshow.com support to give us a one-time donation and left us this lovely message. I just happened to stumble upon the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, and I absolutely adore it. I cannot wait to hear more from the witty cast and the mysteries of the depths. Thank you so, so much, Ashley, for your kind words and generous support. Who wants to go next? Melody. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's by, sorry if I butcher your name, Manda Mikala or Michaela? It looks good to me. Nailed okay. it. <laughs> All right. It says, what a delightful show to listen to. Yay. I added the yay. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't believe stories told through audio could be better than visual media forms. I'm so happy I'm wrong. This is a quality series that really entertains, thrills, and has me laughing out loud as my coworkers give me strange glances. Aw, thank you. This is by McCloriman. Looks good, yeah. Okay. Greatest Cthulhu podcast there is. This podcast is amazing, as are the actors and creators behind the podcast. I can't wait for season three and can't wait to get some mercy. Keep up the great work raining madness down upon everyone with the amazing podcast. However, please do not awaken the great old one. Oh, it's too late. <laughs> too late for that. <laughs> now I just want to hear her talk about great old ones. Yeah, you should just kind write. Of, uh, menacing. I like it. Yeah, you need to write a a really good monologue for that. (laughs) I can't write the monologue for the characters. Wait, can Anjana be the great old one? (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. Don't spoil things. (laughs) I've got a review right here. (laughs) I just printed printed this out myself. Yeah. Uh, It says, this is not a red herring by Hex Pixie. Out of all the actual play podcasts out there, this one stands above the rest with all of its top-notch production quality and actually sounding like a radio show broadcast. The players are fun and witty, and the story writing is wonderful. Thank you, Thank you, Hex Pixie. Excellent. Okay, so it's time to come around to me. Actual Play at its Finest by Tolo Ramasi. Most Cthulhu games focus on pure horror or zany comedy. This show is somehow able to do both and with incredible sound design that rivals any studio drama. Colin Peterson. That's right. Yeah, we should have made Colin read this one. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to please everyone, but if you like Lovecraft and have a dark sense of humor, you've got to hear it. Thanks, Tolo. All right. Incredible! There's an exclamation point. By Brooklyn Hercules. This show was so much fucking fun. I may not be a veteran podcast listener, but I stumbled across this and I love it. It's fun, humorous, and grossing. The characters are good, and I love the sounds and effects. I'm definitely a subscriber. Thanks, Brooklyn Hercules. I, I love you, Brooklyn Hercules. And next time I'm in Brooklyn, if I need somebody to uh, to complete several trials in order to <laughs> in order to get me out of trouble, I'm gonna give you a call. This is from at RPG Jedi. Uh, one of the best radio show dramas available. This well-produced and executed podcast has excellent audio quality. Very immersive. Listen to the episodes in a dark chamber by candlelight for maximum effect. It even includes eerie music that is Call of Cthulhu related at the end of each episode. Actual play characters are excellent as well as sound effects. Well played by everyone. Yay! Excellent. Seriously. Thank you, everybody. Very yeah. good. Thank you so much, folks. These reviews do like do mean a lot, and we're seeing traction on this show, the likes of which we've never seen anything from one of our in-house productions before. Like, it's actually it's working, and that's very exciting for us as creators. And this is only working because of you. I am want to 
have ludicrous ideas and see them to fruition. But that, you know, there are limits to that. And sometimes um, my friends and cohorts, you know, say, hold, 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 hold on. That's too much. You're going off the rails here, pal. And yeah, those discussions happened this time, but it paid off. And thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, we all thought you were crazy. And it turns out that being crazy in this game is totally a, like a skill. Basically. So you gained lots of Cthulhu mythos along the way. Yeah. Brian Smith from Patreon wanted to know if you, Luke, if you were going to publish your scenario anywhere because he would love to run it and says to keep up the excellent work. Well, that one is probably actually one of the ones that I have written out the most in terms of like any of the stuff that I've ever run for myself in terms of having it like actually written up with all of the details in place. I mean, that's something where releasing it, we've got some possible future plans for that no, we have some definite plans for that okay it's, there's Fine. there will be a thing that happens there's some definite fucking plans for yeah. that all right <laughs> it'll be a thing that happens my virgin ears <laughs> for the moment i'll just say that around the time series three drops you will be well aware of when and how you can get your hands on the terrible secret of lot x and i'll be able to provide a little more info about that later in this episode sorry to keep teasing i just want to keep all of our announcements tidy however luke our podcast isn't the only campaign of the terrible secret of lot x that exists out on the internet that's oh, yeah. true yeah, yeah yeah i've got some friends from uh, into the darkness who's like a youtube call of cthulhu group like they're more direct let's play stuff and i actually ran it for them so if anybody wants to see like an alternate uh, uh version of it from my own ego did we do better than them <laughs> did they all survive oh no no spoiler sorry but on a scale of one to ten which one of us is better <laughs> like we're a ten what are they <laughs> Well, it, it was it was just different. Let's just say both of you groups did much better mm -hmm. than my normal Friday night gaming group. Mm -hmm. When I ran it for them, they totally botched the whole like final fight sequence. They went in through the back door, but oh no, uh, things got bad. Like despite getting the drop on everybody, and uh, yeah, uh, oh, only no. one of them made I, it. All out I want to know is I unlocked an achievement, and I just <laughs> yeah. want to know was I the world first? Is he the top gamer? <laughs> Your gamer score is six 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 six. That, six that sounds too many. That's, that's good. That's, that's a lot of sixes. That's a lot of sixes. Yeah. I was gonna say, is that the devil? <laughs> no, that's the super devil. Yeah. <laughs> that's the devil that the devil is afraid of. Sweet. It's been and it's Boar standing there at the yeah. door. Yeah. Boar uh, uh, isn't Borhemoth. Yeah. That's that's your worst case scenario. Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now you'll start to see Fable and Folly Network shows are offering bonus content to all existing and new supporters. Find exclusive new episodes from shows like Civilized and Realms of Peril and Glory. Fable and Folly Plus. Sign up today at fableandfolly.com slash plus. Both Elisha Garcia and the Wizard of Retcon would like to know advice about folks who do home games, running one-shot stories. The Wizard of Retcon specifically wanted to know how you would compare GMing Call of Cthulhu to other systems. Okay, okay. So I guess the first part, like running home games and one-shots and things like that, I know there's a lot of stigma out there on using modules and things like that. Like some people are like, oh, you're not a real GM if you run somebody else's adventure. And I think that's a terrible mistake for a couple of reasons. One, you know, if you're just going to be running a quick game for your friends and everything, like it's a lot of work to put together a whole adventure from scratch, especially if it's something like Call of Cthulhu, where you've got to kind of plan out like some mystery and stuff. And that, that can actually take some some work to do. So, you know, if somebody's already done it, you can look it over. You know, you don't even have to run it as is. You can use it for uh, inspiration or just change it around heavily. So that's always a good way to run one shots if you've got access to that kind of stuff. As far as Call of Cthulhu compared to other games, it's definitely different from D&D, &D, like majorly different from that. Because D&D is a game where you build strong, powerful characters that grow progressively more powerful and collect rewards for things. There's kind of a, a specific kind of arc to that. With Call of Cthulhu, you have characters that probably are actually going to be starting at their best place at the beginning of the story, and then most likely are going to risk injury, loss of limb, death, insanity, 
uh, losing their friends, losing their families, losing their jobs, and things like that is like they slowly have these things taken away from them, but they still, you know, fight against the darkness, try to save a world that will never appreciate what they've done. It's a much different kind of story. If you're running D&D over and over again, it gets boring. Sometimes you just want to tell a totally different kind of story, and that's where it's nice to have another RPG in your arsenal for that. And that's one thing I really love about Call of Cthulhu is like, you know, it's 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 a very different kind of story from a lot of the games out there. But nowadays, you know, this is kind of like an RPG renaissance. Like there are so many different kinds of games out there. You know, if all you've ever done is play D&D, I would highly recommend, you know, just picking up something that, that sounds interesting and give it a try. It doesn't even have to be Call of Cthulhu. Like I also love Shadowrun. I love Dark Heresy, Paranoia, you know, all kinds of different crazy stuff. Playing this sort of a system where death is a very possible thing do some characters luke have some level of plot armor nobody has plot armor but there's like this glib kind of idea of call of cthulhu that like everybody dies or goes insane and and it, it infuriates me because it's not true like the thing about it is is where that comes from is where people that play a lot of call of cthulhu will just have like you know fun one shots or whatever where they do just you know grind through all their characters in a session and like for people that play Call of Cthulhu, that that can be really really fun. But if you play, if you're a D and D player, that is horrifying and jarring. And like so, people who don't have that experience playing that stuff, like they see it as a bad thing. But it, ultimately, it's not even a real representation of the game because the way Series Two played out is probably a lot closer to what most people's Call of Cthulhu campaign experience is. When people sit down and they're like, "We're going to play Call of Cthulhu for a while." Their characters are more on a slow sliding slope down. Every once in a while, someone might have a horrific loss or something like that and be wiped out. But most of the time, it's that, you know, people survive, they're scarred, but, you know, now they're part of it and they're going to fight this until they can't anymore. And that is literally what the Arkham Paranormal Research Society is, is like a mirror being cast onto that, not just as the characters seeing that that's a thing that could happen to them, but also like showcasing the game itself and what it does. Yeah. Uh, in fact, <laughs> do you want to share the secret of the Arkham Paranormal Research Society? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, that's actually my old gaming group. This was all revealed to me at a uh, at a Chinese restaurant where some guy was like, "Yeah, yeah, we used to play together." And uh, you know, I played a guy uh, named was it was it Pell? <laughs> yeah, and I was Charles like, "Wait, Pell. wait, what? You're Charles Pell?" <laughs> it was super. <laughs> it was super surreal. I had no idea about any of this, and I'm looking at this guy like, "No, you're not. No, you're not. Char Charles Pell's an NPC. There's no fucking way." <laughs> yeah. yeah, they ran. A long campaign. Most of them survived a big, long time. You know, it even got to the point where some of them would hit really low amounts of sanity and then like voluntarily check themselves into the uh, Arkham Sanitarium to kind of recover. I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole idea behind Lot X was kind of thinking about that, how Call of Cthulhu characters actually tend to have a pretty long tail on them. And as they collect that over time, they kind of just accrue weird items and spells and things like that and you know they might write those things down so that if their character disappears then the other people know how to create an elder sign or know how to cast a healing spell or know how to summon biaki in case they need to fly to the space library did you guys have any kind of um real fear uh, as they were operating as these characters because I mean, speaking from personal experience in season three, like... Yeah, uh, Colin's was... a player in season three, by the way. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Spoilers, Colin. We've, we've talked about this. I'm, I'm so excited about that. Yeah. I was like legitimately scared during sections of that because there, there's a real fear to the fact that you might die. Like you put yourself into this character and the fact that the choices that you're making might end up with your death. It felt extremely visceral. And uh, I was legitimately scared and my adrenaline was up and it was And it your was performance great. is great, by the way. Oh, thanks. Apparently it wasn't a performance. He was actually terrified. He's method. I fell in love with my character. I love playing him. He's so different than anybody that I've ever played before because I normally play like a mischievous character like Barty. Like, like from Colin Peterson Dungeons every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Woods is not a mischievous character. Series two compared to series three, series two is more of like a classic investigation. Mm. Series three is a very different beast where it's more of a survival horror it, it, story. It's like a thriller horror kind of. Well, hey, speaking of, we have a preview of series three that we can share. And uh, we'll do that after this question. So, John, how do you feel about your mortality in Cthulhu? 
I think it's different when you're playing as a player. You want to survive because it's a game. And the point of a game is, is to win. In an audio drama or something you're doing for a podcast, your character dying could be the thing that makes that character most memorable. Like, if you're thinking about a horror movie like Friday the 13th, you remember all of those crazy deaths or, you know, whatever happens. That's the stuff that makes that movie memorable. So I think I was never afraid of character death. If it happened, it was going to happen. I never, I don't think I ever tried to weasel my way out of a character death. I tried to weasel my way out of a sanity roll. But other than that, like, you know, we're ended up in the mirror and you were like, uh, oh, you're going to see this thing and you're going to have to roll for sanity. I'm like, no, no, I'm not looking at that. I'm looking for Moses. And you're like, nah, no, nah, you're looking at that. <laughs> as far as experiencing fear during it, I think that there's a little bit of anxiety when we were going through the house only because you have no idea what's going to happen next. But oddly, I think the most I experienced was probably trying to do the re-recordings afterwards. Not that I was afraid to do the re-recordings. But I think what? I but I think I got in a, I was in a more emotional place oh. for the emotional lines. Like when I'm in the scene, I'm sitting there thinking about what I'm gonna do next, what I'm gonna say, the the roles and stuff. It's just that there's a lot of technical things going on while you're actually playing the game. Especially, you know, on a microphone, you're trying not to sound like a total fucking idiot. But sitting there reading the script and then trying to get into that place, I think I was more emotionally connected there. So whatever that means, that's yeah. there you have it. Also, the really scary part is the nightmares you have afterwards about Luke. What are these? <laughs> well, you know, where like you're sleeping and then you just hear Luke's voice like, oh, no, he gave us more documents to read. <laughs> oh, no, I meant like, <laughs> oh, I meant like you're, you're sleeping there and you just hear Luke's voice go, you're in a cabin. And while you're in this cabin, there's a strange black ooze coming out of the wall. And you're like, wait, what's happening? And you wake up and realize that Luke's not. <laughs> Theoretically, Luke's Mine not was there. about sitting. the documents, definitely. I'm just trying to say Luke is my sleep paralysis demon. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> My answer for this question is that I'm a bit of a robot and I'm completely detached from any sort of character that I play, any sort of character that I'm watching. If I'm watching a horror movie, like anything that happens, I'm just like, okay, that's a thing. Don't really care. So for me, the fact that Kenneth could have died at any minute and the way that I was playing him was I was talking about rotisserie chicken pretty constantly. And my thoughts were if Kenneth goes ahead and dies after I fail all these, you know, pistol rolls that I kept, you know, trying to shoot at random <laughs> demons. If he dies, I'm closer to going out and getting that rotisserie chicken that I've been talking about. So <laughs> that's that's really you know how, how I, I was playing. I'm sorry. I don't want to play tabletop therapist here, but I see what's happening. Every time you mentioned rotisserie chicken, yeah. it was to separate yourself from experiencing the fear uh, that Kenneth was experiencing. That's intriguing. Yeah. But where did the coins come in? That was also an escape. See, for you, <laughs> if you could make something humorous or silly outside of it, sure. you weren't in the moment and being terrified. So what I'm saying is you're the biggest baby. That's very possible because I use that as a shield uh, <laughs> to get through everyday life. That, like a guy pulls a gun on you and you're like, oh, you're going to shoot me with that shitty gun? Be Do you follow me around? <laughs> yeah. 11 herbs and spices of ironic detachment. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry, man. I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you here. but yeah. Except you are literally doing that. Literally doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Melody, if you had the chance to play this game, this game where you die and all this stuff happens, would you? Yeah. Yeah? Ooh. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Something we've talked about really loosely is if you were to play Anna, like, mm -hmm. for real, like, live, what do you think that would be like? Stepping into this character who you've only known through a script before, like, actually being her. Because I'm an actor, that's kind of cool, doing the whole, you know, pretend and just go with the flow, but the whole... Rolling the dice and all that is so different. It's, it's actually incredibly, it's easier than it seems. Yeah, one thing I like about Call of Cthulhu is like percentiles. If you've got like D&D &D experience, it sounds a little weird. But if you have no experience, then like I think that's actually a really good system for so it. So knowing that, you totally would, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I asked, I asked a few, I asked yes. a few times, right, Cap? I did. He, he did. Yeah. He did. <laughs> Let's jump to that Series 3 teaser. We actually released this clip before, but it's no longer in the feed. And this isn't the final mix. It's something we whipped up very quickly when we realized we needed an extra week in the Series 2 release schedule and put it out for a limited time. We don't have a release date for Series 3 yet, but I have more to say on that later in this episode. But for the time being... We go now to the old Barnaker House, or Howling House, as the locals call it. There, in this haunted and forsaken abode... Five children dare to spend the night. 
you push through the door in the back of the parlor and you find yourself coming into uh, what looks like a family room covered in shelves of knickknacks with miniature statuettes of cats and foxes and birds, deer, other animals like that. On one of the highest shelves, it spooks you for a moment before you realize it's, it's just maybe a stuffed cat with slate gray glistening fur. Who would stuff a cat? Can you get it for me? No, I am not getting you the cat. Joey, can you reach this thing? As he does, an ear-shattering howl emits from this thing and its eyes blink open. Everybody make a sanity check. God damn it. 76, I failed. You go crazier before me. Two points. I lost three sanity. Joey screams in terror and is soon joined by Woods' terrified screams as well as the cat leaps at Joey's face. This cat leaps onto Joey's face. Joey screams in terror and stumbles back off the chair onto the ground as this thing is standing on his chest, hissing and scratching at him. Ah, get it off me, man! I'm going to reach out and I'm going to try to pet the kitty! Ah, What's wrong with your sister, man? I don't know, Chelsea, what are you doing? Help me! He's 11! I don't even like animals, I'm going to pet the kitty! Chelsea calmly reaches down and scoops up the cat. The cat goes silent, kind of crawls its way up to her neck. Joey, are you okay? No! (laughs) Do you need first aid assistance? I I don't, uh, just leave me alone for a second, man. Do you have any, do you have any, you might have cat scratch fever. Joey, you need to be quiet now, the kitty. The cat nuzzles against your face, and then you hear a whisper. You're going to die tonight. The kitty talks. What? What did you just say? That's when the cat begins howling again and slashes out at you with its claws. It catches you across the face with one of them. You take a point of damage and it wriggles out of your hands. Ow, that hurt! The cat, in just a flash, dives off into the shadows, fleeing at maximum speed into the hallway. Chelsea, what did the cat say? We were all gonna die. Whoa! <laughs> Roger charged in. Hey, is this great or what? Has everyone followed into this room uh, by now? I'm feeding the bat in my pants chunks of the raccoon carcass, and the bat's like, <laughs> a cat just told my sister that we're all gonna die tonight. We need to get out of this house right now. <laughs> this is the big tough boy scout. You you think that a cat talked to you? <laughs> this house is really getting you, Woods. You, you're gonna believe your little sister? <laughs> you guys are such chickens! Colin, I apologize. That sounds way more terrifying than season two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry I judged you. Joey, the the actor who played Joey and I... Uh, Crystal you know, Brain of had, Crystal Brain's campaign, the Universal Funk Orchestra. We had an unbelievable time together. Like, it was awesome. The two of us just went nuts. And, and hey, hey, this isn't the season three Q&A. And, and, <laughs> and right. I should add, Chris, Chris is a perfect example of what we we're talking about. Chris yeah. has never played a role-playing game of any kind ever before. And he yeah. just leaned into it. Yeah, yeah. He had a blast. Might as well take this moment to spill some more details on what's to come. The rest of the cast includes Brandon Gerson, who played Father Grandfather in Series 1. He returns here as a character named Dirt. The much-loved and much-hated Father Grandfather. Yeah, the divisive Father wow. Grandfather. <laughs> yeah. And Amanda Bruno as Chelsea. Colin as a character called Woods. Chris Brain, as we mentioned, is uh, Joey. And uh, I play Roger. The local town bully. He's just misunderstood. (laughs) Colin, what's next? (laughs) We haven't covered literally every single question, but I feel like we have, you know, encompassed what most people have been asking, at least their synthesis. And the last question is from Justin Walters. How long do you think this show will run? I'd love for it to be a continuous series that I can listen to into old age, if that is at all possible. 
I would say the easy answer to that is that in success, all things are possible. <laughs> That's very true. Obviously, we're really committed to recording as many series as we can for as long as we possibly can. Like I said last episode, we have series four, five, and six recorded. And doing those has helped us get a better perspective on what we can accomplish with this show, like the kinds of stories we can tell, how much potential this series has to do something really unique with the horror genre, to explore intersectionality in historical fiction, even developing new techniques for the craft of making audio dramas. I love creating the show, but all that drive only gets us so far. The real thing that's going to keep us going, and this is not hyperbole, is you. You, the person listening to this right now. At the end of the day, we're an indie outlet, so we can't get ahead of ourselves. Mystery Program is super expensive to make. Series 2 costs thousands of dollars, even with most of us on the Omniverse side of things working for free. And that was all money that was slowly raised via our Patreon over a number of years. Currently, we have a nice, modest income on Patreon, enough to cover our basic monthly expenses. But since every series is just this massive thing, we need a lot more than what we're currently making to keep producing the show at this level. Series 3 is shorter than Series 2. That's how we're able to make it at all. And we've already invested money into the creation of 4, 5, and 6. Now, maybe one day we'll have enough patrons that Patreon will be all we need. And I should say one way or another, these stories will get made. But our goal is to release multiple series of Mystery Program a year. And the only way we can ensure we're able to do that, to not just keep making the series, but to do it right, we're going to launch a crowdfunding campaign in tandem to the release of Series 3. A crowdfunding campaign is the best chance to get this show made and get our collaborators paid fair wages. It's so important that we stick this landing. We're optimistic about it, but we're not taking any chances, which is another reason for the delay. Coordinating all this, making sure that our budgets are in order, this has to be done right. When the crowdfunding campaign and Series 3 are poised to launch, we will not be quiet about it. You can expect to see announcements in this feed or on our Facebook and Twitter, at Cthulhu Mystery. And of course, we'll be keeping our patrons informed of all of our project's developments. Basically, Everywhere that we can make some noise about it, we will. Now, the details of the crowdfunding are still coming together, and our goal is first and foremost to make the podcast. But crowdfunding campaigns mean perks. So, to tag back to an earlier question, we will be creating professionally produced campaign materials for The Terrible Secret of Lot X, as well as Series 4, 5, and 6, all written by Luke. I think I'm going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> and thank you in advance. We love the show. We want the show to be the thing that we are doing. As you can, I mean, all other programming that I'm directly responsible for has virtually stopped. Yeah, I actually kind of, I feel a little bad. Like, I kind of feel like the eulogist for Nerdy Show. And yeah. It, it you, hurts you, me. You basically did like some sort of weird Cthulhu magic where you killed Nerdy Show, took, the, took its corpse, and then reanimated it into this. Which actually ended up pretty good. So sometimes make a deal with the devil and you do okay. Nerdy Show Network still chugging along, of course. Yeah, but of course. The, the actual network, but Nerdy yeah. Show titular podcast. We're, we're referring to like what would be called like Nerdy Show Prime or just the plain Nerdy Show. It still exists. We're still doing things. I still have plans for it. But by comparison, it's not of major importance. This show is of major importance. This show is what we're doing. And I mean, from all of this has come Omniverse, which feels like destiny to me. Omniverse is a commitment for all of us to keep telling stories, to respect ourselves as creators, and to do what we do best. Like, no transition is smooth, but this one feels pretty damn natural. And it's been a long time coming. Plus, it's been really encouraging how supportive all of our fans have been as our nerdy show facing has gradually shifted to Omniverse, which I'm really grateful for. And since I'm here talking about it, I should make a point of re-emphasizing this. Patreon is how we are predominantly funded, and we expect it to stay that way. Which is to say that even if we're doing a big crowdfunding campaign, we still desperately need monthly support. And our patrons come first. Because our patrons are really our life's blood. They're truly our patrons in every sense of the word, in the classical sense of patrons. And we are so grateful for all of you who joined up since Series 2 launched, including 
some amazing people who joined up specifically to become producers, which means we list their names at the end of the show. We couldn't make it without them. So that's a credit they can take to IMDb, LinkedIn, Podchaser, Resumes. And if that's something that you're into, before Series 3 comes out, if you want to be a producer, now is the time. Head to patreon.com slash omniversemedia. Obviously, if you have any questions about the funding of Cthulhu or Omniverse or anything related to that, you can reach out to us or you can reach out to me, cap at omniverse.media and at Cap Blackard on all social media. Hey, I have an idea. Yeah. Patrons, if you become a producer, I am also a producer. And that means if you add me on Twitter and you send me a DM, I will give you some sort of advice. Or if you have questions about anything, you're part of the team. So any of our producer patrons, just follow me on Twitter. And you produced more than this show. You produced the Light of the Night film for Proto Men. That's right. You worked with George Clinton to create a children's show that never got picked up. Yep, about the P-Funk mythos. So I have lots of... Oh, man, that sounds awesome. Oh, yeah, we'll watch (laughs) it. We we truly are in the darkest timeline that that didn't get made. (laughs) Yeah, I thought so, too, when I realized how much money I lost. But but in all reality, you guys are family to me. And uh, as a fellow producer, hit me up. Um, that's at John Sebastian, J-O-H-N-S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N. DM me. Like the crab. Yep, just like the crab. We'll exchange emails. Let's do lunch over over Twitter. This has been a long rant about funding and so on. Um, thank you so much for not skipping through it. It's just really important to me that you know where we are, like what we're working towards, and the reality of what the situation is. We love this show. We want to keep making this show in all its 31 flavors of horror because... Every series of mystery program is something very different. I mean, even with Moses and Oswald and Estelle and Anna back in the saddle for new adventures, each of those stories are very different in really cool ways. Yeah, and I feel like they're changing format in a way or genres almost as they go. Yeah, yeah. series three is definitely like very different. How did you guys, uh, is, it, is it a spoiler to pitch it the way that it was pitched to me where it's Stranger Things but Cthulhu? I mean, sure, that's fine. Okay, great. That's, that's what I was told it was. Well, I I mean, that's not really accurate anymore, but it it sounds good. Series three was really experiential. Um, It was a thing that happened to us and it happened to our characters over a short period of time. It might even be real time. Yeah, pretty much. It's pretty much about real time. So that's a different kind of program. So, yeah, I guess that answers the question. (laughs) We're here as long as you're here. And as long as you folks are able to fund us, that is amazing. And thank you. I should add that I know monetary support is a tricky thing. But if you don't have any money to support, please do share this show, write about this show, get your friends hooked on this show. We existed this interesting crossroads between two podcast genres that there's greater acceptance towards, but it's still a difficult conversation. And some people are like, actual play. I don't yeah. want to listen to people like with a shitty mic playing a tabletop game. Yeah, I, um, got, I got on an internet fight defending this show, not at its quality. It's like, oh, it's a really good show, but it's not fucking audio drama. I said, bullshit. And we just got in this whole tirade. We are very much an audio drama. We're definitely audio fiction. Please do share us. Let's normalize this experience, hybrid experiences that are um, that are unique because this show would not be what it was if it was scripted. This show is a bunch of people living horror, putting their toe into the infinite blackness of the unknown and seeing if something bites it. It's like everybody likes to pretend that when they see a horror movie, like, oh, I would do fine in that situation. Like, I wouldn't trip or I wouldn't, like, you know, open the wrong door. Oh, no, you way fucking wrong. Like, you're going to open up the wrong door. You're going to trip. But I think that's the coolest thing about doing it as an actual play and also an audio drama is, like, if you're writing a character, you know, like you said, they can end up getting plot armor Game of Thrones. But, like, in this situation, you're going to hear what people really would do, even though they're in character. So this is it, folks. I think we did it. But before we go, I have one last announcement to make. In part one, I mentioned that we've started releasing the raw tabletop role-playing audio of one of our new series of mystery program to our patrons as a thank you for supporting us during this difficult time. But we're also debuting a Patreon-exclusive ongoing Cthulhu podcast. And now I'm going to spill the beans on what that is. We've loved going behind the scenes on this Q&A so much that we're making a regular podcast series out of it. Starting this week, Cthulhu Cthomentary is coming exclusively to Patreon. It's Colin, Luke, and I going through Mystery Program episode by episode, starting with Series 1, and continuing for every series that we do. 
We share all the literary and historical Easter eggs, behind-the-scenes secrets, all the strange happenings from the making of the show. Next week, we're going to release the first episode of Cthulhu Cthomentary publicly, but after that, it's all locked away for Patreon initiates only. Sometimes we might have guests. Sometimes we might provide Cthomentary on things other than specific episodes. For instance, the debut episode is all about the process of assembling that first fateful gaming session. And we've got a bonus episode out right now featuring Luke and I discussing the recent film adaptation of The Color Out of Space. But there's many other explorations of our own series that we can do, such as discussing the show's score with our composers Ryan and Mike McQuinn. Cthulhu Cthomentary is a weekly series available to Patreon initiates only. We want to make sure that if you love Mystery Program, the Omniverse Patreon experience is the bee's knees, which is why we've loaded in a bunch of new features, like our $5 and up tier now gets you access to expanded Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program scores with bonus tracks not found anywhere else, including some of the songs performed exclusively for the show. And that same tier also gets you the full, unedited tabletop role-playing session for our forthcoming Mystery Program series, The Spoils of Innsmouth. Plus, there's also bonus perks like over 25 minutes of outtakes and deleted scenes from The Terrible Secret of Lot X, as well as a brand new selection of over 15 minutes of outtakes from this Q&A. And to make it all the more appealing, we have a special offer on right now for new subscribers or pledge upgrades at $5 or more, where we send you a Cthulhu Photognon button, as well as a mystery program bookmark in the mail. These are physical items that we are going to send to you. So remember, whether you're a current patron or a new patron, please be sure to update your account settings with a mailing address. You can find all of that at patreon.com slash omniverse media. Now, especially during these hard times, I will never not feel weird telling you about the ways you could spend your hard-earned money. But at the very least, I hope that we can make it fun and worth your while. A mutually beneficial arrangement, if you will. We have a lot of fun making this stuff. And that's why I want to make sure that you know about it. Since we're doing some housekeeping here at the very end, John and I have already shared where you can find us on social media. How about the rest of us? Colin Peterson, you want to share some socials? Do it. I don't really have any socials to share. They exist, but you don't use them. Yeah, I mean, you can check out my website. It's colincpeterson.com. Send him an email. Tell him he did a good job. (laughs) It's webmaster at (laughs) colincpeterson.com. Basically. Well, if you're ever wondering what the fuck Boar's doing, go to at WTF on Twitter or boar.wtf. That's B-O-R dot W-T-F. Just pop that in your uh, browser address bar, and that'll take you to the, the latest thing that I'm doing. That's beautiful. True story. That's gorgeous. I'm not just making that up. No, go that ahead, is, and, that go is, ahead and try it. And that's how you're going to start most of your tweets to Boar anyway. Like, Boar, WTF. Exactly. <laughs> well, I just kind of crawl around in the uh, it, dark recesses well, of our Facebook yeah, page. Yeah, if you go to Cthulhu Mystery at Facebook, you will no doubt you'll either interact with Luke or me, and it's mostly Luke. Yeah, mostly me. Tell, I'm an old man, and I don't bother with the Twitters. You, you could tell him how to... I'll also how, battle you on Discord. So, you know, <laughs> join the Nerdy Show. Oh, yeah. 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 Nerdyshow.com slash Discord. Yes. Nerdyshow.com slash Discord. You can get in there. How about you, Melody? Instagram is MelodiousM, and my website is MelodyPereira.com. Is that where they can find headshots and if somebody wants to cast you in something? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> and uh, by the way, just so you guys know, I'm Melody's agent now that I found oh. out that she has professional headshots. And uh, so I get 15%. <laughs> That's all you, it takes. If you book her through this. <laughs> I'm desperate. I'm desperate for clients. <laughs> Bora, you want, want you in? I don't have headshots, so I'm out. Well, Melody, I would recommend you to be cast. So if anybody's listening to this that's doing any kind of Aww. casting, specifically because we have a lot of audio fellow audio drama creators that's true. that are listening. So I yeah, mean, if you th- ever want to cast me, it's it's <laughs> Bor- <laughs> WTF. The only thing you're being cast is out. Cast <laughs> out. Whatever whatever you want to do. It's- Get ye hence. Folks, thank you so much for joining us for this Q&A. We hope we've uh, answered all your questions. Yeah, thank you, everybody. I really appreciate uh, all your love and support. Yeah. We're really glad to have a chance to decompress after this years-long process of creating this show. 
Ta-ta for now. And thanks again to our Patreon producers, Allison Parent, David Van Pelt, Evan Balmel, Goldarn Rito, Hoodoo Voodoo, Josh King, Patrick Webster, Sean Hutchinson, Sean T. Red, Zombie Pops, and our executive Patreon producers, Aaron Ramsey, Jamieson Malone, Jason O'Keefe, and Marcus Larson. The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is recorded and produced in Central Florida and Nashville, Tennessee, on lands that were ruthlessly taken from their indigenous people, the Tamuqua and Seminole and Yuchi, Shawnee, and Cherokee, respectively. To learn more about the First Nations of the land where you live, visit native-land.ca. Omniverse. The Fable and Folly Network where fiction producers flourish. Meet Pia Casely, a journalist with a nose for a good story. Do you know who the last person to interview Julie Capsom was? Me. Meet Brenda Bentley, a dogged detective with a case she can't let go. Nobody came closer than I did, and that's why I was kicked off the force. Together, they solve the cold cases no one else can. That's when things got weird. And we haven't even gotten to the torso yet. If they don't kill each other first, that is. Well, you've got another thing coming. You know, I think it's you've got another thing coming. Or perhaps there's something else between them. Well, if the feeling's mutual, call it a mutual feeling. Arden. A podcast about crime, romance, and everything else. Season 1 and 2 now available. Brought to you by Wayface Industries. The good people. <laughs>